Again, we uh, welcome you to Covenant Church and those of you who are watching whatever this is called. What do you call it? Online? I don't, I don't know what it is. You know, whatever it is. You know, it's all beyond me. It's far beyond my generation. It's really cool, but I don't really understand it. So Pastor Jones is uh, preaching at uh, uh, the mission work we support in Ottawa, Grace and Peace, and he asked if I would fill the pulpit for him this morning. And so someone, someone once sung about the fact that uh, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Well, I may be a fool this morning, but we're going to try and do this. Little theologians, if you can, uh, if you think you know who a, what a judge is, and you can draw a picture of a judge, then I'd like to see that, if you could do that for me. You know, there are words that we use um, as Christians. We use them all the time. And sometimes they confuse us, and sometimes the confusion is such that we just don't touch it. For example, this morning, the call to worship. Look at the first, look at page one of your bulletin. The call to worship. This is what you were told in the last line of that call to worship. You were told that he, the Lord, is to be feared above all gods. Look at the scripture lesson on page three. Here you hear Paul encouraging the bondservant to obey their earthly masters and to do so with fear, trembling, and a sincere heart. And then notice what he says. As you would Christ. So that's our focus this morning. What in the world does the scripture mean when it calls upon us as believers to fear the Lord, which it does repeatedly throughout Scripture. I mean, even the call to confession on page 2, a quotation from Proverbs 9.10, says that the beginning of wisdom, that if you have knowledge and insight concerning the Holy One, it all begins with the fear of the Lord. So look at these scripture lessons for you. They begin on page four, taken from the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter one, chapter 14, chapter 20. I'm gonna read these rather rapidly, so excuse me for that. But then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, you're looking for names for your next little girl, you might consider those. 
The Pharaoh said, when you serve as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, they're vigorous and they give birth before the midwives come to them. Now we can have all kinds of discussions and debates about whether or not they should have said that because it's true, but not exactly. But no matter what you think, I don't care what you think at this moment because, because look at what the scripture says. The scripture says, so God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and they grew strong and because the midwives feared God, feared God, he gave them families. And then Exodus 14, when Pharaoh drew near, this is the children of Israel are at the banks of the Red Sea. When the Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it as because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not thus this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Those of you of my age who remember the days of the Cold War, you remember the people who said, it better, I'd rather be red than dead. Well, here are the Egyptians, I mean, here are the Israelites saying, with such great logic, we'd rather be slaves in Egypt than die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, and Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him 
may be before you that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray. Father, open to us your holy word and teach us your truths. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In August of 1966, I was ticketed for exceeding the speed limit in New Jersey by 10 miles per hour. 10 miles per hour, going 60 in a 50 mile per hour zone. So I was called to court, and prior to standing before the judge, my father instructed me on how to dress and how to conduct myself. And I got to tell you, I look good and I behaved very well. And the judge revoked my license for 30 days. <laughs> now, the Lord, who is both our Father and our judge, instructs us. He also is the one who instructs us on how to live. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, I don't want you to think that this idea, the fear of the Lord, is just an Old Testament concept. Because in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, we're told that as our Father, He judges us impartially according to our deeds and instructs us to conduct ourselves with fear, and not to live according to the futile ways of this world. 2 Corinthians 7.1, the Lord our Father and Judge instructs us to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Probably many of you have read those passages again and again and again and again. Or heard them read. The fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 through 7, teach us that if we're going to live these holy lives, free of defilement of body and spirit, if we're going to live lives dedicated to pleasing and serving our Lord, then we need the wisdom and the knowledge and the instruction and the understanding that only God can give to us, that only He provides, that he, only He provides to whom? To who are those things provided in Proverbs 1, in those opening verses? The knowledge, wisdom, instruction, and understanding of the Lord are provided to those who fear the Lord. Wow. These verses, they also teach that only a fool despises the wisdom, knowledge, instruction, and understanding that comes from properly fearing the Lord. And, and such a fool is described in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7, as one who, instead of looking to the Lord for wisdom, for knowledge, for instruction, for understanding, he's described as one who is wise in his own 
eyes. Well, as believers, by God's grace, we don't want to be fools. We don't want to be foolish. We know that we need God-given wisdom and knowledge and instruction and understanding. But what does it mean to say that to gain those things, we must fear the Lord? I mean, that's said again and again and again throughout the Scripture. And especially, how can it be that on one hand, Scripture repeatedly tells us to fear the Lord, and on the other hand, we are repeatedly told to fear not. Fear the Lord, but fear not. Well, Clearly, I mean, let me just give you an example. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, uh, the Lord says, I mean, we're told that God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And in Isaiah 41 and verse 19, it's the Lord himself, our Father and Judge, who says to us, fear not. I'm with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. So which is it? Are we to fear the Lord? Or are we to fear not? Well, biblically, we're to do both. Both instructions are given to us throughout the scripture. So obviously, this word fear, as is true with many words used in scripture, used in our everyday life, this word fear has more than one meaning. It has more than one meaning. I mean, there's abject fear, a sense of utter dismay and a feeling of overwhelming terror. And surely the Israelite slaves lived in abject terror of their Egyptian taskmasters who cruelly terrorized them. Well, that's one kind of fear. But let me tell you something. And then just be patient with me a moment before you jump to conclusions. I feared my father. I feared my father. My daddy didn't terrorize me. He wasn't cruel. I never doubted for a moment his love for me. But I also always knew he meant what he said. He meant what he said. And if I failed to heed his instructions, there would be consequences to pay. I knew that. As I matured, I, I, of course, I came to understand that my fear was, in truth, a genuine awe of him. I, became, I grew to respect deeply his judgment and his understanding. And, and I grew to understand 
that he instructed me and disciplined me because he loved me. And he only wanted what was best for me. And in response, I loved him with all my heart. Now, I have to say this. Unbelievers, unbelievers should be in abject fear of the Lord. Should be. But being wise in their own eyes, they're blind to who he is, they mock his commandments, they scoff at the idea that there's coming a final and just day of judgment. But as believers, we are not to fear the Lord as unbelievers should. For we know that he is not only our judge, but also our father who loves us so profusely that he sent his son to suffer in our place, the penalty merited by our sin. So what does the scripture tell us? The scripture tells us in 1 John 4, 18, that God's perfect love for us cast out from us all fear. It's good news. And yet, (laughs) we're repeatedly told to fear the Lord. Well, perhaps by God's grace, three moments in redemptive history may help provide us with the wisdom and the the understanding and the knowledge we need that would uh, encourage and, and challenge us concerning what it means for us as believers to fear the Lord. Look at the Exodus 1, verses 15 through 21 passage. Shifra and Puer were two of Israel's midwives who uh, assisted um, uh, enslaved Hebrew women during childbirth. Uh, they been, they've been ordered by Pharaoh to kill at birth all boy babies. Pharaoh fears that his Hebrew slaves are just too quickly increasing in number and they might rise up in rebellion against him. So he orders that all baby boys, all future warriors, that they be put to death. But in verse 17, you're told that the midwives, fearing God, refused to do as Pharaoh ordered. They had reason to fear Pharaoh. I mean, his authority was absolute and his orders were clear. You kill all the male babies. But Shifra and Puah, fearing God more than they feared Pharaoh, chose to obey God rather than man. They may have been a little bit scared of Pharaoh, or quite a lot, or very much afraid of Pharaoh. But their fear of the Lord was greater, and it was far different from their fear of Pharaoh. Look at verse 21. Because they obediently feared the Lord, he blesses them with families of their own. Now, they may have feared Pharaoh, but they, (laughs) fearing Pharaoh, they never expected Pharaoh to bless them or to do good for them. But here these midwives 
fear the Lord, and he blesses them. For these two women, the fear of the Lord meant that they were wisely in awe of him. They revered him. They understood what he would have them to do. They were quick to obey him. And because they feared the Lord, they understood that his authority far exceeded the authority of Pharaoh. And what they learned was this one that they properly feared and reverenced and awed and listened to and obeyed. He blessed them. He blessed them. They feared Pharaoh. He terrorized them. They feared the Lord. He blessed them. Look at Exodus 14. The children of Israel left Egypt. They're headed for the promised land. They have two problems. The Red Sea blocks their path. And Pharaoh and his army are in hot pursuit of them. In verse 10, you're told that they greatly feared for their lives. Well, of course they did as runaway slaves. They were an abject terror of Pharaoh and his army. And so what did they do? They griped. They complained. Anybody know about that? You're all liars. Okay. They griped and they complained. They complained bitterly to Moses for getting them into this mess. And as they complain in verses 12, look at the verses 11 and 12. Look at their complaint. Note that in their complaint, they never mention the Lord. Never mention the Lord. Five times they refer to Egypt. They never mention the Lord. Now, here they are, in abject terror of Pharaoh, convinced it would be better to be slaves in Egypt than to be slaughtered in the wilderness. And being wise in their own eyes, they've lost sight of the ten plagues that God brought upon Egypt to punish that land in order that he might deliver his people. They have... Being wise in their own eyes, they they can't remember what the Lord has done. They can't remember it. They'd rather be slaves. He delivered them from slavery. Verse 13, Moses tells them to fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord. In verse 14, I mean, he assures them, the Lord will fight for you, so stop your complaining. And of course, the Lord then, through Moses, parts the waters of the Red Sea. The children of Israel cross safely to the other side on dry land. And when Pharaoh and his army attempts to pursue them, the waters rush back into place, drowning Pharaoh and his soldiers. And look at verse 31. Here we're told that having seen the great power of the Lord, the people feared him. Wow. 
Well, what's that mean? Look at verse 1. Look at verse 31. There are two statements in parallel to each other. Look at verse 31. They feared the Lord, meaning, second phrase, they believed in the Lord. Having seen his great power, they fear and believe in the Lord. They are, at least for the moment, in awe of the Lord, and they believe he can do as he has promised, that he can lead them through Moses to the promised land. Now, in this passage, the Israelites have experienced two kinds of fear. They've been in abject terror of a merciless tyrant, and now they've learned to fear the Lord. They, they believe in him. They are in reverential awe of him. They have seen who the Lord is. He is the God with great power. And think about this. And I hope as they were believing in the Lord, they thought through this, though if they did, it didn't stick with them for very long. But here they are, here they are, and the Lord has punished the Egyptians. Yes! But what about this complaining group of gripers? who have forgotten the Lord. Forgotten who he is. Don't trust him. They'd rather be slaves in Egypt. This foolish idea of entering the... What does God do to them? God destroys the Egyptians. Great. Well, what should he do with this bunch of people? He forgives them. He's gracious. He's merciful. And he's loving toward them. And why is that? Because that's what he chooses to do for the sake of his own glory. Look at Exodus 20. Several weeks later, the children of Israel encamp at Mount Sinai. They, as they watch and listen, the Lord descends atop the mountain in thunder, lightning, and a, and a thick cloud, the, the sounding of a loud trumpet. And there atop Mount Sinai, the Lord gives to Moses his Ten Commandments. Now look at verse 18. Having seen and hear all this, the people understandably are afraid and they tremble and they stand far off and they're so afraid that in verse 19, they plead with Moses to be the one who speaks to them because they fear that if God speaks directly to them, they'll die. And they got good reason to be afraid. If you know the intervening history between Exodus 14 and Exodus 20, they have good reason to be afraid. For despite all that God has done for them, delivering them out of Egypt, taking them through the Red Sea, destroying their enemies, providing them with water and food, protecting them from the threat of other enemies, what have they done? <laughs> They've been a people just like us. They've griped, 
and they complained because life was difficult and hard. And who in the world, certainly not me, wants to go camping? And here they are, camping in the wilderness. But Moses says to them in verse 20, do not fear. Look at that. Moses says to them in verse 20, do not fear. And then, you got to follow this. And then Moses says to them, all that you have seen and experienced has been sent by the Lord to test you, to teach you, to live always in the fear of the Lord so that you might not sin against him. Don't fear. Do fear. Why should they not fear? Because as the Lord graciously reminds them back in the second verse of of Exodus chapter 20, just before giving them the Ten Commandments, the Lord reminds them, I am your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I rescued you from the house of slavery. I am your God, and you are my people. This is who I am. I am your powerful God. I have chosen you to be my people. I have shown you my love and my grace and my mercy. And despite all of your gripes and complaints, I have saved you. I have delivered you. I have provided for you. And therefore, you need not fear. For I will be with you and I will lead you into the promised land. I don't want you living in abject terror of me, but I do want you to fear me. That is, I want you to be in awe of me. I want you to respect me, to reverence me, to worship me, to obey me. The believer, are you to fear the Lord? Well, you're certainly not to live in abject terror of the Lord. I mean, he's not some human tyrant who ruthlessly holds you in his clutches. That's not the Lord. You are to fear him in the sense that you should be living in awe of him, not treating him lightly. Not treating him lightly. To be in awe of him knowing that you are completely undeserving of his mercy, knowing that, as I once heard someone say, he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. He loves you. And think about this. He loves you with a love that will never let you go. So yes, You are to fear the Lord. You are to live in awe and reverence and obedience to him. And you're to live remembering that in his word, he provides for you the wisdom and the knowledge and the instruction and the understanding that you need to live the best of all possible lives. 55 years ago, I could not offer my judge a reason why I shouldn't suffer the consequences of my actions. He wouldn't 
listen to me. Can you believe that? I mean, I had a good argument. I, I had great justification. He didn't care. He didn't care. Believer, consider with wonder the fact that when the day of final judgment comes, as you stand before your Father and judge, this will be your plea for me. Jesus died and rose again. And this will be his judgment. I am your God. You are my child. Now come, enter the land that I have promised you. Pray. Father, teach us to properly fear you, not to be in abject terror of you, at least not as believers, but to reverence you, to be in awe of you, to hold you in highest respect, to look to you for the knowledge and the wisdom and the instruction and the understanding that we need to live the lives you would have us to live, the best of all possible lives. Father, forgive us. We are too often Israelites who gripe and complain. And sometimes we do so with what appears to be great justification. Circumstances are difficult. Our situation is far from easy. And it's like we're trying to dwell in a sun-parched land with no water, no sustenance, no relief. Father, may we look to you. May we see your power May we trust in your deliverance. And may we trust in the timing of that deliverance. We pray in Christ's name. And all God's people said,